There we are. I'm glad everybody's here. It's Wednesday night, uh, midweek. How's your week? I guess the deeper question is, how is your soul this week? Right? We always ask that question, how are you? And what's the answer? I'm fine. Everything's good. But have you ever stopped and said, how's your soul? Yeah. Ask a fellow Christian that sometime. Not just how are you? How's your week? How's it going? I mean, just real. I think that's a good question for us as Christians to start asking each other on a regular basis. That's a, that's a question of accountability. Uh, it's also a question uh, that leads into what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, prayer as, uh, as formation, right? Uh, prayer is this discipline again. Uh, that is what, how, I remember how we started this series a few weeks back? How would we define prayer? Prayer is? It's coming into God's presence. It, it's, it's, this, it's this prayer, like Augustine, this is how I've started this. Augustine said that prayer is love. And if you think about love, love is this connection between two people or two minds, two personalities, two, and in this case, a deity and a creation, right? Uh, uh, the creator and the created. Um, but it's coming into God's presence. That's what prayer is, right? And so think about this. If we are coming into God's presence, do we stay the same? No, we don't. Before we go any further, I want to pray. And I want, because this is going to be a very important, it's going to be a simple uh, teaching tonight, but I think it's going to be very powerful. So let's pray. Father God, uh, first of all, we do pray tonight. On Wednesday nights, Lord, we want to focus on prayer. And that's coming into your presence. Uh, you inviting us closer and, and, and our participation in your presence through an attitude of prayer. And so, God, when that happens, I mean, we can't stay the same. Whenever we come into your presence, first of all, we are humbled at even the thought that we could because we know how uh, sinful we are and how distant we are from you. And in order for us to be near your holiness, God, we must change. And that's what you do through your spirit as we come to you in faith that Jesus Christ has paid our sin debt, and then your spirit, Father, shapes us and changes us as we are in your presence and we pray, Lord, you are doing something. And so tonight, I pray that you show us in your word your design for prayer in this manner and that we don't shy away from that. Teach us, Lord, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So think about this. If, uh, how many of us can stand in God's presence? Has anybody ever stood before the throne of God? Has anyone ever done that? No, I've, not, I've never done that. I've never stood before his throne. Uh, now, now it's, there's been times where I have felt his presence and I've kind of imagined his throne in that process of prayer, right? Uh, we, we can come into the presence of God at his throne, uh, you know, through our imagination, but not physically in front of his throne right now. At, at, at this stage of our existence in our, in our lives as sinful, fallen beings, there is no way that we can be in, at his throne. It's not going to happen, right? Um, but 
if, we, if prayer is defined as this coming into God's loving presence, this attitude of love, this act of love where we are coming closer to God and God is coming closer to us and we are somehow connecting, will you ever be the same person if you practice this regularly? That's what prayer does, right? Prayer can be this thing that transforms us. This is, this is part of, of God's toolkit, his toolbox, to shape us and change us, right? Does, is, if, if we understand the gospel the way Scripture tells us, the gospel is that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us so that, what, our sins are forgiven, we are redeemed. That relationship between God and his creation is then restored. This, the idea of restoration is very much central to the gospel. right? Um, change is necessary. But we can't change ourselves. We cannot make ourselves holy enough to be in God's presence. right? Through prayer, God changes things. right? So if prayer changes things... Prayer also changes us, right? We, do we pray for change? Yeah, all the time. Dear God, I can't balance my checkbook this month. Change the finances somehow. <laughs> Y'all ever had that prayer? Yep. Dear Lord, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the end of the month. I need you. Change something, right? We cha- ask for that change. Uh, change of health, right? If somebody's health is poor, we pray for God to change that, Right? Um, we, we pray for a change of circumstances within a church. You know, we have prayed along this process for some change and some direction, and, you know, change is still going to happen as we move forward as a church in this location and as a body, right? Are you, ex- are you expecting some change? How many churches resist that? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to embrace some change. I mean, as we grow, as we continue to out reach out to new people as new people keep coming in, uh, some change is going to happen. We've been a happy little bunch, haven't we? Have we been a happy little group? Uh, this happy little group may, within the next year or two, start becoming a little bit bigger. I pray if God sees us through favor and sends people our way to disciple and to shape. So we pray for change, but do we pray for change within us? This is what we're going to focus on tonight. And so this communion with God the Father, this, if prayer is this loving communion with God, this is going to cause some change, right? And if this communion with God, uh, how does this work? How does communion with God change us, right? Um, if we are Christians, we are then what? What is to be, to what does the word Christian mean, really? To be Christ-like. How many of us start out Christ-like on our own? How many of you, right? Before you were forgiven of your sin, before God redeemed you through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? were you Christ-like? No, I mean, an honest testimony will say, I wasn't Christ-like at all. I was the furthest thing from that. But... Communion with God through prayer, right, conforms us into the image of Christ as we do that, right? As we are praying, we can become more and more like 
Christ because we are coming closer to the Father, right? But this happens also through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So you've got the Trinity involved here. You've got God the Father, whose presence we want to come into, but we must be conformed into the image of Christ in order to come closer to him. But then the process by which that happens is through the power of his Spirit, See how that works? Now, years and years ago, I was uh, counseling and discipling a young college student who was, I mean, she was just devastated. Her life was falling apart. Um, uh, uh, The Lord was really uh, convicting her of some things in her life, and she was seeking out some answers. And and I was in a room with some other uh, people with her, and we were all just kind of praying with her and talking with her and consoling her and guiding her through some really turmoil, some real turmoil here. And she said, I, I just don't understand this Holy Spirit thing. I'm just confused. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. And, and I just looked at her and I said, it's real simple. The Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. Now, you've got three persons, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we can think of God, we can put in our mind a Father God, right, up in heaven and in all places everywhere. We can, in our mind, grasp this image of a son, right? But how do we grasp the image of a spirit? What is this? If if spirit is God and God is the spirit, right, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, really is God's presence with us. And the blood of Jesus Christ was necessary for that to happen because we were separated from him. And so God, after Jesus Christ uh, paid the price for our sin, that's when he sent the Holy Spirit to all believers, right? Prior to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, God would pour out his Spirit selectively for just those special people he had special things for, right? But after Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers. And that's when God's presence comes in the room, (laughs) Wow, that's when God's presence is so, so evident within us, we can't escape it, right? And so through prayer, have you ever had that happen when you're in an attitude of prayer, that suddenly you just feel God's presence so strong you can't get away from him, right? When, when if you had some prayer time like that, uh, I'm not saying that all prayer times are as strong as others, but you, you do have those memories, those milestones in your prayer life uh, where God was so present you could not get away from him. Right? And you remember those, and so you want to get back to that same kind of thing, and you strive for it, you pray for it, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right? But that change, does that change you at that moment? Right? When you feel God's presence, we're, when we're conformed in the image of Christ through the power of the Spirit and we're in communion with God the Father, something changes. Our spirit forms into something else. Our personality becomes someone else. Right? We are in this, added, we're in this constant formation stage as Christians. Y'all know that? Y'all realize that? You weren't just uh, uh, born again on vacation Bible school day when you were eight years old and shook the preacher's hand and got baptized that week and that was all done, right? Do you, do you realize that you're in a constant change? You're, God is constantly forming you, 
He does this oftentimes through our circumstances in life and our circumstances in our Christian walk. But primarily, I would argue, in Scripture, he will do this whenever we come into communion with him in prayer. That's where the most significant shaping is going to happen. Okay? And so a steady, ongoing prayer life only occurs when we're prepared for God's molding and changing and shaping. You know what? I'll have to really confess. Sometimes my prayer life kind of goes in the valley and it goes slow whenever I am convinced that God wants to change something in me and I'm not ready for it. And so I avoid him in prayer. Y'all do that? I've done that. I know God's convicting me of something. He's starting to do something in me. He's starting to change some things. He may be starting to uh, draw me closer into his presence and I don't feel like I'm ready or I want to avoid it. So the next thing that happens, obviously, is I avoid prayer. Y'all... Y'all done that? Nobody's done that? You've never done that? I've done it all the time. I said, dear God, I don't want to talk to you right now because I'm afraid of what you're going to tell me. I, I, I'm, I do that. <laughs> and then, then he gets my attention in ways that are painful. So that I go back to him in prayer, right? That happens all the time. But in order for a steady, ongoing prayer life to be a part of who we are, if you want a consistent, ongoing prayer life, then we need to be prepared for change. That's kind of a, that's a conflict of ideas, right? On one hand, we want things to be steady and ongoing. But what comes through that, if we have a steady and ongoing prayer life, it's not going to stay the same. It's going to change us. Right? See where we're going? Yeah, church people are the, the world's worst for not wanting change. Would you all agree? We've done it this way for 50 years or 100 years, and we're not going to change it now. Well, that's because they're probably not praying steadily and consistently, because if we're praying steadily and consistently, I promise you change will happen. God will form us into the image of Christ that we are not. You cannot avoid the change if you have a steady, consistent, ongoing prayer life. It's going to happen. Now, and uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah 18 here in just a few minutes, if you want to go ahead and turn over there. But the ancient church fathers in the first centuries of the church, and when I say that, I mean, uh, you know, the first, really the first four centuries of the church is when much of the foundations of, of Christian doctrine were, uh, were argued and articulated in consistency with Scripture. How do we understand what God is doing? This idea of formation prayer is something that the ancient church fathers uh, spoke of in in this term. The Latin here is conversatio morum, which means a conversational death. Think about this. The early church fathers talked about prayer as a conversatio morum, a conversational death. Think about this. If, if your conversations with God in prayer results in you dying to self, right? Changing from who you were in your sinful self to this image of Christ, it's a, it's a conversation of death. That's one of the reasons that uh, perhaps many Christians don't have a consistent, steady prayer life. 
It's because it, there is something that as God is changing us and forming us and making us new, there's parts of us that are dying and need to. Right? Are y'all willing? I mean, see, see what I'm saying? Right? And, and this conversation with God, this formation prayer that we have with Him, if we are honest with God and open to His sovereignty, He is going to cause the status quo within us, the old habits within us to die. That's part of the formation process. Sometimes in order to build something up, you have to tear something down. You know, you know like if you've got an old house or an old shed or something that you need to rebuild, how much of that do you have to tear down? Sometimes you have to tear it down to the foundation and start over again. Sometimes you have to rip out the foundation and even pour a new one. Right? God's going to do the same thing in our lives through prayer. If, we are in, if our prayer lives uh, get into a habit of, of a consistency, an ongoing seeking communion with God, this is one of the, the results that will always happen, if, but we have to be ready for it. Because when the change starts to occur, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some unease. There's going to be, okay, God, you want to kill this in me? Really? I like that. <laughs> Think about it. What is it in your life that you like so much that when God says, we've got to kill that, you say, no, I want that, and you hold on to it, right? The flesh hangs on. Exactly. The flesh hangs on to our sin. The flesh hangs on to the comforts of this world. The flesh holds on to this world because flesh is of the world. And God's going to cause all of that to die within us whenever we are in communion with Him in prayer. And if we begin to feel that change in us, that can drive us away from God if we're not ready for it. This is why formation prayer has been called by these ancient church fathers this conversational death. Because we're in a conversation with God that's resulting in the death of our habits and the death of our old self and the death of our flesh. Out of death comes life. Something has to die in order for something else to grow. A seed has to die in the ground in order to produce a flower, a plant that produces fruit. Right? Exactly. It's a constant theme in Scripture. So apply that same theme to our prayer life. Now this constant change is going to result from the death of our old self. Change is going to be ongoing. It's not going to be this one-time miraculous aha. It's going to be a constant growing, processional change. It's a constant conversion. It's a constant openness to the move of the Spirit every time we come into communion with God. Are we ready for that? If we're not prepared for it, if we're not uh, ready to receive it, then we're going to resist it. That's the point of this. And so prayer... The practice of prayer, the habits of prayer, I'm saying here from Scripture and from church tradition is we need to learn what to be ready for so that we can accept it. No matter the pain, no matter the, 
the inconvenience of it. Now, let's go ahead and turn with me to... Uh, go, first of all, let's turn to John chapter 6. Then we're going to go to Jeremiah 18. I changed my mind. Let's go to John chapter 6 first. We're not going to read all of it, but I encourage you to read it, uh, if you wish, later. But we all know the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Uh, it's one of those Bible stories we all know from children. Even if you're not a church person, most people have heard that Jesus fed the 5,000, right? Um, have you ever read that entire chapter, even after he fed the 5,000? What happened after Jesus had this miracle of feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish? What happened after that? Jesus and his disciples get into the boat and they go back across the sea to Capernaum. They're going back home, right? Uh, we, ha- we have an interim story here where the disciples get in the water or in the boat in the evening in verse 16 and they go across the sea to Capernaum and Jesus is not with them. They were waiting on him and they had to leave. But somewhere in the middle of the night, Jesus comes to them on the water, right? And he gets in the boat. But then in uh, verse 22 of chapter 6, we're not going to read it all. We're just going to read a few verses. Suddenly, when the next morning comes, all of these people that Jesus fed got hungry again. Think about it. If you ate yesterday and now tomorrow's here, the food you ate yesterday is now digested. You're hungry again. And so in their minds, they're thinking, hey, we got a free meal. Let's go find Jesus. Right? You see, you read it. That's what they're doing. And so they actually, they go down to the seashore. They see the boats are gone. So they walk around the lake, around the sea, over to Capernaum. So they follow. They go over there. And they, they find where the disciples are. They find where Jesus is. And they said, We're, there you are. We're hungry again. Feed us. Right? Y'all know that story? What is Jesus' response? You're not following me because you want me. You're following me because you want another free meal. And he condemns them. On one hand, you think, now wait a minute. These, these people are seeking after Jesus. Shouldn't they be commended for doing so? They're looking for Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're, look, they're going to where he is. But what is Jesus looks in their hearts. He says, you're not coming here to find me. In other words, you don't want a relationship with me. You don't want me to love you and you love me in return. You want just what I can give you. And he condemns them. Right? And so this is the thing. When we come in prayer... It is true that we can come to God asking for Him to provide for us. Okay? God wants us to. God the Father wants for us to seek Him out as the provider, but God the Father also wishes for us to see Him as more than just a provider of our, of our physical needs. God also wants to be our teacher. He wants to be our friend. He wants to have communion with us. Right? That's why when... We see in the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament as well, we see it foreshadowed uh, to the coming of Christ, that God is constantly seeking to pitch His tent to dwell with His people. Right? And Jesus here confronts these people who are looking for Him after this great miracle, and, and He tells them that He is, when they talk about this bread, right? 
Look here in verse 25 of chapter 6 of John's gospel. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're just here for another free meal. Verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do, or what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he goes further down to verse 35. And, he, and of course, these, these people say, well, where is this bread? Where is this bread? And Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? What are we seeking when we come to God in prayer? What are we looking for? Are we just looking for God to provide for us, or are we looking for something bigger? That right there is the first step to any change, right? Accepting that which we do not expect, or actually accepting that which is beyond what we expect, right? If we don't do that, we're not going to change. And so Jesus here is actually teaching these people, you are coming after me because you want me to give you something. And that's how we do it in prayer. We come to God praying for something. Gimme, 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 gimme. And Jesus is saying, no, there's something better. <laughs> there's something greater, right? And so he's starting to, well, he's not very successful here with these people because they all, most of them run off and leave because it's too difficult of a teaching. But he tells them, what you're really looking for, I need to change you. <laughs> you need to be ready for some change. Be acceptable of something greater. So this prayer formation, really, it's a, prog- it's, a, it's a form of progress. It is progress in the spiritual life. Um, it's becoming formed in the image of Christ. What does Paul tell us in Romans eight twenty nine? He says, those he knew he also predestined to be what? Conformed in the image of his Son. Right? This idea of predestination is this... Uh, biblical doctrine that God from the very beginnings of time knew and predestined that his people would be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, those who are his people, those who would be his church, those who would be his children would be the ones that he conforms, changes, makes into the image of Christ. Right? Now how does this look? Now go over to Jeremiah 18. This is a classic image of formation uh, of, of we as sinners into the hands of the potter. Right, we are the clay, and the potter's hands are shaping the clay into a useful vessel. Right? Jeremiah's prophecy as he's speaking to uh, Israel and, and, and how they have uh, rebelled against the Lord and turned away and the enemies of of God's people are allowed to come in. Look here in Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. 
So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Wow, think about that. Has anybody here ever worked with clay like that, ever worked on a potter's wheel? You done that, Katie? Is it fun? I love it. Yeah, you get all that wet, goopy, muddy clay in your hands, and it's it's kind of dirty and gross, but it's still kind of fun at the same time because it's spinning on that wheel, and your your thumbs will just shape it, right? You put a little pressure on it, and you curve it, and you got your other fingers there, and you're you're you either make it you stretch it tall or you spread it out fat, you know, whatever it is. You can do whatever you want on that wheel, can't you? You can. There's power in a potter's wheel. <laughs> you can take dirt and make something beautiful out of it on a potter's wheel. I mean, this is wonderful imagery here. And is God not doing that to us? Right? Is he got, is, how many of, think about this. Just go back to the very beginning of creation. How was Adam created? Out of the dust of the ground. You and I are just dirt. <laughs> Isn't that, you see the imagery here? Because clay on the potter's wheel is just a, 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 mob, a, a glob of dirt that the potter is shaping and moving and making into a beautiful, useful vessel. Now, but notice here how, this, what, what, what the, how Jeremiah describes this. In verse 4 of chapter 18, he says, And the vessel he was making of clay, my translation says, was spoiled. Does anybody have a different translation there? Does it say the same? Was spoiled? God's creation was spoiled. Right? And who spoiled it? Adam and Eve did, and of course we carried the same sin. Right? They spoiled it. Right? And so even though it's been spoiled by sin, God will reform it and reshape it into something. He'll rework it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Those last few words, as it seemed good to the potter to do, that's God's sovereignty at work, isn't it? Sovereign grace. Reshaping us as He seemed good. It good to do. So, if through prayer, God is forming us like a blob of clay into a beautiful vessel, He is shaping it as He seems it good to be. Right? He's going to take and rework us into something that He sees as good as he desires it to be good. And this, this happens through communion with him in all forms of communion, but particularly in communion with prayer. Right? Now, we won't read all of the rest of uh, chapter 18, but I want to encourage you to do that. Because Jeremiah's prophecy here is directly to Israel, to the house of Israel. And he says, God is going to be changing something here. Right? Now, formation prayer also requires humility. What is, I mean, how would you all define humility? 
We have to be humble enough to allow the potter's hands to shape us. Now, we, we think of this in the physical imagery, but this is happening through our spirit. And, and, and when we are in communion with God in prayer, that's where God is really reshaping us on the wheel. If you really ponder that, it, especially when we can develop a consistent, disciplined habit of prayer, coming into God's presence, not always with a checkoff list of desires and needs, but with a, dear God, I just want to sit here and just meditate on your word and just listen for your presence. Right? That's when he begins to shape us, that formation prayer. Right? And it requires humility. Now, tying into what Bill said here about you know, things breaking and in order for it to grow, dying, and this idea of earth and fertile ground. Here's what Anthony Bloom says about humility. He says, humility is the situation of the earth. The very word humility comes from the Latin word hummus, which literally means fertile ground. The Latin word that we get humility from means, it implies it comes from this idea of the ground, right? So in order for us to be changed through prayer, we must be humble before God, at, so that, which is a form of, of preparing the dirt, preparing the soil, we are dirt. We are made of soil, just like Adam was. Right? We come from the dirt. We're going to go back to the dirt. And God is going to continue to shape us and make us. But this idea of humility implies fertile ground that God can do something with. That you can, if you want to use another imagery outside of the potter, the imagery of the gardener. You know, breaking up and preparing the soil so something will grow, right? And the earth, think about this. If, if the word for humility comes from the idea of fertile ground, that implies um, the, the earth or the ground. What, think about the ground and the earth that we deal with every day. What's on the ground? What do we do, how do we treat the ground? How do we interact with the ground every single day? We may not be working it, but we're walking on it, right? So the ground gets walked on, right? Where does our trash go? On the ground or under the ground or, you see? So the ground just receives all of the filth, all of the things that we just walk upon it, we throw trash upon it. But then we can, we can break that up and we can till it up and we can rework it, uh, make it fertile in order to receive a seed that is sown upon it. The ground receives rain, the ground receives sunshine, and the ground will then open up to growth. Think about all that within us, right? Are we ready for that? Right. The other thing to think about here in Jeremiah 19 with this idea of the potter's clay, we're not going to read it, but if you want to take notes, Jeremiah 19 also takes this imagery of the, of the vessel in the potter's hands and speaks about a, a vessel or a flask that was broken that God will restore to something beautiful. Right? 
All of this deals with the idea of formation, of changing who we are. How many people are ready to actually begin that process? I mean, if you're actually seeking to be different, my first question is going to be, what's your prayer life like? Is it just a casual get up in the morning and rush out the door and as you're driving down the road, okay, dear Jesus, help me get through the day? <laughs> That's not much of a formation change, <laughs> right? Um, sometimes what this requires, and I would love to do this with our church sometime, uh, sometimes it requires getting away from the uh, routines of, the, of our lives and, and intentionally getting away and allowing God to reshape us and reform us. A spiritual retreat. Y'all ever done that? I want to talk about like a weekend camp. I'm talking about a spiritual retreat where you plan your days around prayer. The, I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with planning a schedule of prayer throughout a weekend, and you do nothing else but that. Now, that's powerful. That is life-changing. Uh, I've, I've actually done several of those throughout my life, and when I come away from those weekends, wow. Right? Um, there is one that uh, an early church father by the name of Ignatius developed, and he would take these, uh, these monks and these priests that he was in charge of developing and shaping, and he would, take, and he would actually plan a four-week formation retreat. And they did nothing for four weeks but pray. And each week they, they focused on a different attitude or a different aspect of their spirit and a different aspect of the relationship with God. And they would focus in prayer specifically that week in different ways about that specific thing in their lives with God. And he had a four-step process. St. Benedict had a, uh, if you've ever read the rules of St. Benedict, which became kind of the foundation of many of the ancient monastic monks. I'm talking about ancient, ancient stuff. Um, the 12 rules of St. Benedict, if you ever read any of that stuff. He goes through 12 rules for anyone who wants to come closer into communion with God. Beautiful stuff. Now, a lot of that was distorted over the medieval years of the church and became uh, legalistic things that you had to do to be saved, and that's where that all kind of fell apart. But the, original, the, the origins of all of this stuff was intended to uh, be tools to help us become closer to God in prayer so that he would change us from the inside out. And sometimes we have to make that happen, right? Sometimes our lives are so busy and so chaotic and so stressful, we, we, we can't just allow God to take over and change us because we're too resistant. There's, to, there's so much going on we can't let go. I'm too busy, God. People are counting on me. I've got too many responsibilities. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Anybody ever been there? All right? Yeah. I've got the kids to feed. I've got the house to take care of. I've got a job to be to, right? Okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow, God. That happens all the time. So I think it's, I think it's healthy for Christians to plan uh, times to intentionally get away from it all to focus on God so that we can listen and hear Him. And that happens through prayer. How'd y'all like to go do that sometime? 
That'd be fun. Actually, not. It's, it, I don't want to use the word fun. Um, it's, it is fun, but it is transforming. It is life-changing. It is refreshing. The Spirit comes away so new and, and energized, and God can use those times to really develop some change in us. Amen.